How's everybody today? Good. Okay. A couple little announcements for you. Um, please remember that tomorrow night is renewal night here on the South Park campus. That is an evening of worship time for everybody together. Um, it starts at 6.30. I know that um, you will be inspired and enjoy that if you are here. So put that on your calendar if you don't have it there already. And then please be sure that you have marked your calendar for the 15th of December, which is the New City Women's Christmas pop-up. It's not pop-up like come and do your shopping. It's pop-up like come and have some fun and hear a message from Tammy and Jen Payne and get a little fun takeaway to go home with you before you leave that night. So today we are in the sixth chapter of Romans. And I want to start by asking you this question. If you're driving down the road and you see a business that has a sign in it that says that that business is under new management, what does that make you think? New owner? It could be good or bad. That's exactly right. And if it's a place that we have visited before, restaurant, store, whatever it might be, we may have watched it decline. We may be hoping for the best that this means um, something new and better is going to be there, that improvement is on the way, that it will be fresher and brighter and redone. <laughs> redone. There we go, right up there. But one of the most important things is that under new management, it always means there's been a change in leadership. And what we expect is that the new leadership is going to bring positive changes. New motivation, new methods in the way things are done, the way business is conducted. If it's a restaurant, we're hoping it's gonna be new and better food, new and better product. So basically we're saying that when we have new management, we are upending the old ways and replacing them with new. Well, I want you to know this morning from the sixth chapter of Romans, that every one of us as believers is under new management. When we believe in Jesus, when he is our savior, he becomes our new leader. And we are clearly in for transformation that will be fresher, brighter, newer, better. And so as Paul is writing this sixth chapter to the church at Rome, remember that this is a small group of people meeting in several house churches. They are way outnumbered by a city full of all kinds of cultural compromise all around them. But what Paul is saying to them is, your lives are under new management. And here's why this is a really good thing for you. Let's pray for just a minute before we dive into this. Father, we pray this morning um, that the words of my mouth that the meditation of each of our hearts will be acceptable and honoring to you. So, Father, um, will you speak to us now? We're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So I want us to consider three questions as we think about being under new management. And the three questions from this chapter are, does grace allow us to keep sinning? What does it mean to be dead to sin? And what does it mean to be alive in Christ? So let's start with the first one. Does grace allow us to keep sinning? Now, last week, Lisa taught us all about our relationship to our father, Adam, and how his actions, along with Eve's, set the path for our sinful condition. How that one act from Adam meant that condemnation would enter the world. But God had a plan even before Adam made that mistake. God had a plan from before the creation of the world that he would solve that problem of separation between man and him through Jesus Christ. So we had that contrast in last week's chapter of Adam bringing sin into the world, but Jesus, one act of being crucified and resurrected for each one of us, meant that we would all be dealt with in grace, we would all be justified as believers and made right with the Lord. So in the last two verses of chapter 5, if you've got your Bibles open, you're welcome to read with me. In the last two chapters of verse, or the last two verses of chapter 5, and then the first verse of chapter 6, Paul wrote this. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So he's just said, as sin grew, so God's grace grew. And he's just said that God's grace now rules in your lives. You are now in right standing with God. And then you can tell that he's anticipating the questions that could come from some of their hearts and minds because his next thought is in verse 1 of chapter 6, well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? It's almost like Paul is concerned that they're going to think, well, gee, if we keep sinning, maybe we're actually doing God a favor. You know, maybe we're going to let him be more and more generous with this grace that he's offered because we can do the things that we desire to do. Now, in that first verse, when Paul says to keep on sinning or to continue in sin, the word there in the Greek is epimeno. And the meaning of epimeno carries with it the idea that this is not a one-time thing of sinning. This is a habitual lifestyle. This is persistent sin. Paul is not talking here about the thing that we all struggle with, which is from time to time, we mess up, don't we? We do things we shouldn't do. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about should we continue in sin, meaning is it okay for us to make this continual willful choice 
to go down a certain path that we know is wrong, that we know is outside of his will, yet we do it thinking, well, it's okay. His grace will cover me. The question that he poses here when he says, should we keep on sinning so grace will abound, is kind of like today if somebody said to him, Paul, you know, based on what you've just said here at the end of chapter 5, I think we can all just live like the Dickens, and then Jesus will come along and forgive us. And Paul's answer in verse 2 here, I have to tell you, it's almost like, as this was translated, they could not have put enough exclamation points after his answer, because what he says is, by no means, absolutely not. That's what he's trying to get across, and he's saying How can we, who have died to sin, continue to live in it? Now, there's a story of someone once confronting Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, and asking him about this question of believers being justified and made right with God and receiving God's grace. And someone came to him and said, pretty much the same thing Paul was anticipating, they asked, If people know this about God, that his grace is abundant, then can't a person simply live doing what he pleases? And Martin Luther turned, and probably to their surprise, he replied, indeed. And then he looked at all of them and said, now what pleases you? Now at the heart of that question is, once you are saved and made right with God, What is your motivation for your behavior? Has it changed? Have you left behind a life of sin? Have you become, because of your love for Jesus Christ, motivated to live in a way that what pleases him is what pleases you? And that leads us right into our second question. What does it mean to be dead to sin? Now, I want to ask you for just a minute, to think about what you've learned thus far in the first five chapters of Romans. We've learned that when we believe in Jesus as Savior and Lord, that God brings grace to us that is so magnificent that he gives us the righteousness of Jesus, a thought that is almost too big to comprehend. He no longer sees us in our sin and in our depravity, but when he looks at us, He sees the goodness of Jesus Christ, and he makes us a new person. Our identity has changed. We now belong to Jesus. We no longer belong to the world. And because we have a totally new relationship with Jesus, we have a totally new relationship to sin. We are under new management. Now, in chapter 5, that concept of sin increases and grace increases. The idea there is that the focus is supposed to be on the magnificent grace of God. It is not supposed to be on our thinking, well, maybe I can keep sinning. All of us as believers are covered by the measureless abundance of God's grace. And what Paul does in the sixth chapter now is he goes on in verses 3 through 7 to use baptism as a way 
to paint a picture for us and to explain to us what has actually happened in our lives. He writes this, Have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. For when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. Let verse 6, the last phrase there, sink in. We are no longer slaves to sin. Now, I think Paul uses this example for two different reasons. One is he is reminding them of the physical act of baptism, which is the outward sign that a believer has committed his life and is identifying with with Christ Jesus. But Paul is really taking this example to a much deeper level And he is using this example of baptism and the idea of being covered with water as a symbol or a metaphor for the spiritual immersion of believers into Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. It's the idea that we have been totally covered, totally encompassed. In the original Greek, the word baptizo was actually a term for when they took a piece of light-colored cloth and they dipped it into a darker dye to change the color of the fabric. So what was once white or a very light color, like maybe a flax color, now when dipped into the dye became completely red or completely purple, completely blue, completely green. It was totally changed. When we believe in Jesus, God's grace dips us in the same manner as we think of Christ's death and resurrection. We are totally changed. When we believed in Jesus as our Savior and Lord, we were dipped. And this imagery of baptism representing death and resurrection is to be taken literally by us that we have joined Christ in his sacrifice for us, and he has covered us. Now, I want to borrow a picture illustration from Martin Lloyd-Jones, who for many years was the minister of Westminster Chapel in London. And when he was explaining this to the folks in his church, he used the illustration of there being two fields, separated by a road straight down the middle, And so these two fields showed the people there what it meant to start off in one field, which was the field that was ruled by Satan. It was covered in sin. It was the place where everybody made choices based on what they wanted to do, on their own selfish wills. On the other side of the road 
is the field of God. It's where we move once we become dead to sin. We move across the road. We've had a change of location. We're under new management. Now, occasionally, the old master may try to come and cajole us back and offer something to us to make us think, well, maybe I just want to go back that direction for a little while. Of course, he doesn't mention the consequences. But because we have a new master who is more powerful, who has covered our lives with grace and filled our hearts with his Holy Spirit, we stay in that new field. This is what it means in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. So anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. We're in that field of God forever. Now, when I say those words to you today, and we think about the old life being gone and the new life having come, I feel like we should all be shouting hallelujah because the thought is huge. And the thought is the most tremendous blessing that any of us receive in our lives. So from that point of shouting hallelujah, although we're not doing it out loud this morning, I hope you're doing it in your mind, let's move on to what does it mean to be alive in Christ. So I know it's hard to move past the point where we're thinking, well, hold on a minute, because I know that I still have some sin in my life. And the truth is that until each of us reaches eternity, there will always be some sin that crops up in our lives. But here's the deal. It no longer rules our lives. We have a power in us, which is the same power, the scripture tells us, that raised Jesus from the dead, that gives us the strength to move away from that sin. J. Vernon McGee is a well-known author, um, pastor, um, professor at Dallas Seminary, and he was known during the time that he was teaching for some very comical illustrations. And he had one that he used to show this idea of being dead to sin to being alive in Christ that goes like this. There was a lovely woman in the Deep South and she had a childhood sweetheart. And as they grew older, they married and were deeply in love. And everything wasn't perfect, but they were faithful to one another. They had a lot of joy in their marriage until one day her husband was taken very suddenly by a heart attack. And she was beside herself with grief, and she could not bring herself to separate from his physical presence. So she had him embalmed and stored in an airtight plastic box and had him placed in the foyer of her large southern home so that every time that she would go in and out of the house, she could smile at him and say, Hi, John. You know, I'm having a good day. And so after a while, after she had been living this way, she decided she would take a trip, and she went to Europe. And it was a wonderful change of scenery for her. It was lifting her spirits. And while she was on this trip, 
she met another lovely American gentleman who swept her off her feet, and they very hurriedly decided to marry and honeymoon throughout the rest of Europe together, and then they were headed back home to live in her home in the South. And so the day they arrived at her home, they were driving up the driveway, and he was thinking, this is my opportunity to sweep my bride off her feet and carry her across the threshold and let her know that this is where she and I are going to live together in love for the rest of our lives. Now, heaven only knows what she was thinking as they were pulling up the driveway, but Vernon McGee didn't include that in his story. So they get to the front door, he sweeps her up, and he opens the front door, bumps it with his hip, and he's carrying her across, and all of a sudden, he drops her in the middle of the foyer and says, who is that? And she said, well, that's John. That's my old man, my first husband. And her new husband looks at her and says, he is dead, and he is out of here. And he took him immediately, box and all, and buried him in the backyard. Now, it's a funny way to depict what happened. But here's the point. I'm sure you've all realized it already. But some of us choose to cater to that old man from time to time. But who wants to live with a dead guy, right? I mean, who wants him sitting in the plastic case to revisit on a daily basis? We need to remember that that old man is dead and that being alive in Christ means that we are the new bride of a new bridegroom. He's carried us across the threshold. He's awakened us to new life and new relationship, and our future is entirely different because we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Now, in verse 11 of chapter 6, it says there that in the same way we should count ourselves dead to the power of sin, but alive in Jesus Christ. If you're going to take a verse from this week's lesson and write it on a post-it note and stick it on your mirror, that's the one. You are dead to the power of sin. You are alive in Christ Jesus. There's a great picture of this for us in Scripture when we think about what happened in the 11th chapter of John when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And if you'll recall, by the time Jesus got there, Lazarus had been dead for four days. And Mary and Martha both ran out to Jesus and said, if you had only been here, our brother would not have died. But Jesus knows that he has the power to raise Lazarus from the dead. So as they continue to say to him, Lord, the smell is going to be really awful, and the decay has already started, he's been in there four days, Jesus doesn't pay much attention to that, and he goes out to the tomb, he has the stone rolled away, and he calls out to Lazarus and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus walks out of that tomb, wrapped in his grave clothes, it doesn't matter his condition because Jesus is transforming him. And at this moment, Jesus' words 
are so appropriate for us today. He says, take off the old grave clothes and set him free. We have been set free through the power of Jesus Christ. He promises us that he is the resurrection and the life and he is that for every one of us. I want to end today by giving you four truths about what I think is tangibly meant, and this list could probably be much, much longer, but we're going to stick with four today. Four truths of what it means to be alive in Jesus Christ. The first one is each one of us can have confidence in the midst of temptation. He has given us the power to successfully resist. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that God is faithful, that he will keep the temptation from becoming so strong that you can't stand up against it, and he will show you a way out. The second thing is we can be confident that we cannot sin our way out of God's grace. In John 10, Jesus said in his own words, my sheep know my voice. I know them and they know me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. Even a stumble in our lives a time of sin never means that we no longer know the voice of Jesus. Third, we can be confident in the face of death. <clears throat> in John 11, when Jesus is raising Lazarus from the dead, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, even if he dies, meaning physically dies, and everyone who believes in me shall never die. Alive in Christ is an eternal position that starts while we are living, believing in him here on earth, and it lasts all the way through eternity. Physical death may come for each one of us, but it is only a stepping stone into promised life with Christ eternally. We are alive in Christ, now and forever. And then finally, we can be confident of God's constant grace in our lives. In a few chapters further, we're going to read in Romans 8, verse 28, that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That verse means the following. Regardless of what happens to us in this life, regardless of how distressing our circumstances may at some times be, God will use it for his glory and for our blessing. <clears throat> we have all of these confidences because we are alive in Christ. So let me just ask you a couple questions in conclusion this morning. Aren't you glad you're under new management? How seriously do you take that idea that your leader is a new leader? 
And let's go back for a minute to Martin Luther's question. If we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, then what pleases us? And if you have any question in your mind about what pleases us or yourself, or if you want to know that what's pleasing you is more closely aligned with what's pleasing Jesus Christ, then ask him to show you, and he will. The places where his pleasure can more strongly become your pleasure. Let's pray before we go to our groups. Father, we thank you this morning that we stand before you redeemed and saved and covered in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for what it means to be dead to sin. Help us to understand that clearly, Lord. And thank you, Father, that in the process of becoming dead to sin, you have made us alive in you, that we have new life, new ownership, new motivation. And Father, we pray that you will give each one of us the faith and the strength to live that out on a daily basis. And we ask this in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. Amen.